Episode 131 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the American actress Cheryl Lee, an international star who shot to fame through the early 1990s mystery horror TV series Twin Peaks, co-created by Mark Frost and its main director David Lynch. Cheryl had the dual roles of murder victim Laura Palmer and her cousin Maddie Ferguson. This interview took place in 1991 in Los Angeles behind the scenes of the spin-off film prequel Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Well, I thought you must be the happiest person when you heard this film was being made, bearing in mind it's leading up to the events of Laura Palmer's death. Yeah, I was very happy. It gives you a chance to act at last, doesn't it, rather than play a girl on a plastic bag? Yes, it definitely does. It's kind of a roller coaster ride, this one is. Are you, are you very tired in what you can say about it because of the restrictions on you? Yeah, mm. completely. <laughs> I mean, not a whole lot more than everybody really knows. You know, there was a lot said in the series about the character and about the way she was those last few weeks. And if people paid close attention, they probably know a lot more than they think they do. Mm. How much do you actually know about the plot so far? Or, or are you kept in the dark as much as we are, almost? No, I know everything. Now I know everything. Mm. So how did you find out that they were making a movie of this? Well, I think first I heard a rumor about it. And... I didn't want, really want to believe it. I didn't want to get my hopes up until I heard it directly from David. And then he said, we went out to dinner and he told me it was an idea that was stirring. And I kept saying, don't tell me until it's 100%, you know. And it went on for a couple months. But are you playing a dual role in this, such as you did in, in Twin Peaks, the series? No, I'm not. It feels yeah. like I am, but I'm not. <laughs> Because you're in it virtually every frame, by the sound of it. It's pretty hard work for you, isn't it, this film? Mm -hmm. it's, it's an incredible challenge for me. I mean, it's wonderful. I'm learning so much, but it's a challenge. It must be quite a blessing after, as I say, playing a sort of dead body for most of the previous series to actually be able to show your talents off. Yeah. I mean, it's so strange. When we were in Seattle a, month, you know, a few weeks ago, I was thinking, God, it was two years ago that I met David here and I was hired for four days to play a corpse and now two years later here I am back here doing a feature it just it doesn't even seem real I'm very thankful very thankful to him there's quite a funny story as to how you got that part isn't there I was living in Seattle doing theater and studying and my agent said David just saw your 8 by 10 headshot and says that you are this dead girl in this thing that he's doing nobody knows what it is it's top secret and we meet him and I went in and met him and that was it really have you spoken to him since about why it was your face that he chose no not really I've heard you know different things here and there but I think David works David just knows things and he works very much from an intuitive place which I agree with 100%, mm. which one reason I love working with him so much. And so you can't really question that. That is or it isn't, mm. you know. Whether many people reject it? That I don't know. But what about when you got the role? You, I mean, how did it feel when you actually got it? I felt great. I mean, they, he sort of told me right then in the meeting, which never happens. You know, you always have to go home and wait by the phone for a week. And um, at the end of the meeting, he said, so do you want to do this? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, let's do it. And I sat there thinking, 
did I just get a job? You know, did they just tell me this? Did you realize what the job entailed exactly? Yeah, most of the meeting, David asked me about that. He said, how do you feel about being wrapped in plastic and dipped in the water? And at that time, the corpse was actually going to be found in the water. So it would have been very cold. Was it difficult when you were playing two roles, as it were, to sort of get into two characters? It was interesting. It was very interesting because playing Maddie, I learned a lot about Laura. So did we when we saw you playing it. Yeah. Was that must have been quite fun, though, to play a dual role, wasn't it? The best day was the funeral for me. That was very interesting, sort of like going to your own funeral. That was, I thought a lot about death that week. So how did it feel to become famous as a dead body? First off, I don't know if you ever really know what it feels like to be famous. I mean, it's a very strange thing. I don't feel any different. My life is different. And the character that all the viewers see, I'm very detached from because that's my character dead. So I'm finished with it at that point. I relate to this, the character that's alive, the internal person. And so, you know, the dead pictures and everything, it's not... But it must be extraordinary to be known as a dead body, as it were, all yeah. over the world. Yeah, I could write my own book of dead jokes. <laughs> I've heard every dead joke in the world. <laughs> well, people telling you that socially, are they? Is that what happens whenever you go out? People, yeah. Mm. Oh, God, you know, you're looking a lot better today. You were looking a little stiff the other day, feeling a little under the weather, a little blue, the whole thing. See the picture of, of the dead body, as it were, the, the famous picture which everybody knows now. What, what goes through your mind? What do you think of it? Um, there it is. <laughs> Let me look at it and tell you. <laughs> it's a very strange thing because it's like, I know it's disturbing for my mother, but when I see this, I just remember the day and how long it took to shoot that. I remember, I mean, it took us like a day and a half just to shoot that first opening scene, and it was freezing cold. That's not makeup. That's, no, I'm just kidding. That's full body makeup. Does it disturb you in any way? No. No, because I really came to terms, I think in my own way, with death on this whole project and, and realizing that it's not, I don't think death is a bad thing at all. I think it's a wonderful thing. I read a quote that said, death is like taking off a tight shoe and that feeling of, ah, and that's how I feel that it will be. I feel what's sad about it is the people that are left behind. That's the painful part. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you feel playing someone who's cut off in their prime. I'm a very beautiful girl who's got everything going for her and suddenly she's cut short. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. And, you know, every time you turn on the news, it's happening. It's so disturbing. I have a very strong sort of spiritual belief that helps me deal with it. That's but your family, you say, didn't take it quite so well. Yeah, no, especially when Maddie died and you actually saw it happen. That was very disturbing for them. Mm. What sort of things did they say to you then? How did they react to you? My mom just wanted to hear my voice on the phone and hear that I was okay, you know. I know that when you see it, it looks so real. It's so hard to imagine that that's not, somebody's not actually getting hit in the face or thrown around. Um, the whole series, brilliant though it is, it is very disturbing. Did it disturb you or do you just look at it from an actress's point of view and see your performance? No, it's definitely disturbed me at certain moments because it's a very dark place to go. The place where this character lives. Mm. Yes, her, her life and her thoughts and 
her dreams, which I have had many of, are, are incredibly disturbing sometimes. How do you mean you've had many of those dreams? How do you mean? Well, usually when I do a character, at some point before I start working, in the process of getting into the character's skin, at some point I start dreaming the character's dreams. It's sort of like they say, when you're learning a foreign language and you start dreaming in the language, then you know that you've got it. And so in a way, it's a, it's a good sign to me because a lot of times the dreams will give me clues to the character, but it's there are a lot of nightmares that go along with this one. So what sort of nightmares did you have? Can you go into detail? Oh, I've had nightmares about the train car. You know, I've had endless nightmares about people trying to kill me so I mean a psychiatrist could have a really good time with this interview <laughs> but it's it, it gets in you you know did, did you have to seek help in any way or was you just thinking this is part of the process of acting yeah no it's just I understand that it's part of the process and I also have for myself I meditate and I do yoga and and I have a sort of like a support system for myself set up so that I know where that line is, and I know what I need to take care of myself so that I can come out of it. Mm. What was the most frightening episode, though, for you? Definitely the scene where Maddie was killed. Definitely. Did you research into people dying or anything, or how did you prepare for that? I did. I thought a lot about death and people that had died in my life. Just really tried to go to that place where you know that you're being killed, where you which is like naturally you don't want to go to that place because it's horrifying and you have to just allow yourself to go there you know and especially here this is your uncle well with Laura it's father but it's, it's your uncle that's doing it you know and that's it's incredibly horrifying did you know anyone in your life that has met an early end yes yes three friends when I was in high school what happened to them um, two of them were car accidents and one of them was cancer. My whole world turned upside down because my grandfather died first and when he died I went into almost like a rage. I was very young still, just like in eighth grade. And that was the first time I'd ever been confronted with death. And I remember just thinking, it's not possible that I'm not going to see this person again. That can't be. And just so angry and so confused and then it wasn't long after that. It was in high school that my friends died. And it's sort of the same thing. You think, why? This young person, why? It seems so unfair. And I grew up, you know, going to ch Methodist church every Sunday, and that's just the way it was. And I didn't find the answers in the church that I needed. So it set me on my own search. And I read everything I could get my hands on, everything about religion, everything about God, about dying, about, you know, Buddhist point of view, this point of view, Christianity, everything. And through that, I don't think I've stopped that search that started when I was, that was about 15 years old. And through that, I've sort of finally found my own way. Mm. So what do you think happens after death, and what is your opinion now? I definitely believe in life after death. I do believe in reincarnation, but I also believe that our lives on this planet are very important, that this is sort of a it's a learning ground for us. It's where we can come and experience everything. You know, you can be poor this time and rich next time and experience everything so that your soul can become completely whole and full and it will take you back to that light. Do you ever feel you've been here before, as it were? Yeah. And in what capacity? You know, sometimes you meet somebody and there's something about them that seems so familiar and you know you've never met them. Is that deja vu? Yeah, almost like yeah. a deja vu. Mm. And then other people, you know, like David Lynch is a perfect example. This man just came into my life 
and has given me so much and at the same time killed me twice and put me through you know what I mean hung me 60 feet above the ground and and so you think you know this just came out of the clear blue there has to have been some connection from before there has to be something that we had to work through again in this life and it well there are many similarities between you and Laura Palmer yeah there are some similarities you a high school beauty queen and no I was up for home homecoming queen but I thought it was a joke I, I thought this is they're joking so what happened did you not win no I didn't win I was very relieved not to win to tell you the truth I don't think my mom was relieved she wanted me to win but I I was very relieved what about other similarities though in personality and things like that obviously you look very similar yeah I look very much like her I also struggled a lot with I think there's an an internal struggle in her between what she and society says is good and what she and society says is bad and that can torture somebody to death you know I didn't accept myself either which I don't think she does how do you mean I didn't have you know people talk about loving yourself I didn't when I was that age either at all the series was sort of greeted initially with great enthusiasm and then sort of waned somewhat how did you feel about the response from the audience or from the viewing public well it's sort of a thing in this country to love something and then once you love it a lot it becomes a trend to hate it and to see who can hate it the most and criticize it the most creatively and a series is a hard thing it doesn't have a beginning a middle and an end it just keeps on going and as an actor I know for myself I'm not crazy about working that way were you heartbroken when the series came to an end or did you feel it had run its course I wasn't heartbroken that the series came to an end. I was heartbroken that the story came to an end because I didn't feel ready or really fulfilled. I mean, both my characters were killed. So that's one reason this is really wonderful for me. All the mystery surrounding the death of Laura Palmer, I mean, it really took the world by storm. How much idea did you have of what was going on outside the studios? I don't think that I was aware of a lot of it until later on. You know, I would hear bits and pieces but it always took me by surprise in the beginning I had no idea you know I swear that was my first television experience ever and I think you sort of I sort of thought it was just in my living room it was hard to imagine that it was my friends in Colorado were seeing it and people in New York were seeing it so when you realize that it's part of television history basically it's one of the great mysteries like who shot JR and things like that that must be a great feeling for you I don't know if I thought I mean I, I don't think about it too much I mean it's I'm really glad to be working and I'm really glad to be working with David it's just doesn't I don't know it's a strange What's, what difference has the whole thing of Twin Peaks made to your career well it brought me to LA I was living in Seattle and I said I wasn't going to move to LA unless I came here for work and um, thank God that happened and so it definitely opened some doors where are you from originally Boulder, Colorado. It's kind of a small town. It's a college town. It's a great place to grow up. It's a very healthy environment, right on the edge of the mountains in Colorado. Is it a bit like Twin Peaks or nothing like Twin Peaks? It's a bit like Twin Peaks in the sense that it's small enough that people know each other mm. and weird things happen, you know, but weird things happen everywhere. How weird? There's lots of different kinds of people that go to to Boulder. It sort of was known as a hippie hangout mm. in the 70s and now it's they've got the yuppies there and the college there and the 
a lot of really healthy sort of, I hate to use the term, but sort of new age studies go along there also. You and like you have a, your witchcraft underground also. Are you like a celebrated old girl, as it were, from there now? I don't know. I mean, they're a wonderfully supportive town. You know, anytime anybody, whether it's an athlete or an artist or an actress, they're very supportive. Are your family still living there at all? Mm -hmm. So what sort of business are they in? Were you from a showbiz background? No, I didn't think I was. Um, in the past year, I've heard some stories about aunts and uncles and how they all tried to get into theater, but I, I didn't know that my whole life. My mother's a painter, and my father is an architect. So very creative, nonetheless. Yeah, they were. Did you feel you had that sort of artistic instinct from a very early age? Yeah, I knew that I had to do something in that area with my life. I didn't find acting until I was about 15. Because dancing was your original interest, yeah. wasn't it? Why dancing? Well, I wanted to paint or draw like my mother, but I couldn't sit still long enough. I didn't have the patience. I had to move my whole body. And then I've always loved music, and there, there's something about sort of becoming one with music that was always very sacred to me. And then when I found acting, it was the voice on top of the movement with the music, and so it was like an even more open rich feeling. But what took you from dancing to acting? Accident. Really? <laughs> God's grace. I, I had knee surgery and I couldn't perform as a dancer that fall. And mm -hmm. I was getting performers itch and my mom said, why don't you try out for the school play? I thought, there's no way I can't speak in front of those people. Mm. Why knee surgery? Was it you done too much dancing? Mm -hmm. Did you fall off stage one day or something? No, just, you know, wear. Wear and tear. I mean, that must be the, the fate of many dancers, isn't it? I mean, are they all right now, your knees? Are they yeah, they're great. Mm. So successful surgery, was it? So what, what was the basic difference we were hinting at earlier about dancing to acting? What was the changeover like? Having to speak in front of all those people mm. added a that whole other fear, thing. yeah. But the whole idea of the character, you know, the character is so much more specific and that I loved. I mean, I'd always been really fascinated with people and what makes them tick and why do they make the choices they make and how does where you grow up affect what kind of relationships you choose. And so acting is sort of a way to get underneath all that. Do you remember the first role you ever played as an actress? Mm -hmm. It was The Bad Seed. I was the mom, Christine, who commits suicide. This? I had this thing about death. <laughs> it was The Bad Seed. It's called right. The Bad Seed. This was on stage at a local production, was it, or something? Or it was a school in high school. How do you look back at those early days? Do you sort of cringe with the memories of your acting then? or? No, I mean, I'm sure if I could see my work, I would cringe. But the experience on a whole, I just remember, was being really wonderful. I had a really great acting teacher. And it was really the only place I felt right in, in school. I did not like high school or anything at all. And so it was sort of like I, I found a place in there. Did you have any idea at that stage, or even when you were younger, that you might turn out to be a, a star? No, I mean, I think everybody who wants to be in this business, you know, you can't help but wonder about it sometime because it's pounded into your head. But I actually, I loved the theater so much that I would have stayed in theater and been happy. How did it go from sort of local and school productions to...? Well, I sort of went all over. I went from... Boulder, Colorado, out, came out here to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, left there, went back to Colorado, went to North Carolina School of the Arts, left there, back to Colorado National Conservatory Theater, left there, moved to New York for three and a half weeks, left there, and then went to Seattle. 
why so many changes? Was this the natural course of events for a young actress in this country? <laughs> no, it's just me. I couldn't find what I was looking for mm. until I got to Seattle. Is that the sort of person you are? You know what you want, and you, if you haven't found it, you just move on? I think I know more what doesn't feel right. And I may not know exactly what it is that feels right, but I know when it doesn't feel right. I may not even know why, but if it doesn't feel right, it will haunt me until mm. I figure it out. Mm. So after all this education and training, I mean, how did it develop into something substantial for you in, as a career? Well, when I went to Seattle, I started working with a wonderful director up there who was a teacher also, and through that, spent the whole first year terrified to even audition, thinking, I want to be an actress, but I'm, I cannot bear to go audition because I'm scared to death. Is this shyness or what, or just fear yeah. of criticism? Or no, what? shyness. It was yeah. definitely shyness. And it was, it was a very strong force in my life. I mean, it really kept me from a lot of things for a while. Yeah, a lot of actors seem to suffer from shyness. It seems an odd career to choose if you suffer from shyness. Yeah, but see, you get to be other people. Mm. Nobody really gets to know who you are. So you kind of protect yourself in that way. Have you always been a, like, very sort of introverted or something? Is that, is that what you're implying? Yeah, my privacy, that's the hardest thing about all this for me right now, is having to let go of, of that, of my privacy to an extent. And I've found that I still do anything I can to hold on to that, you know. Mm. But it's, it can be very strange feeling, you know, if you're somewhere and you're feeling very vulnerable that day or very insecure or whatever and something's on your mind and somebody walks up behind you and says, oh, you're so-and-so. Mm. And you're grateful to them because they help make it all possible, but... I mean, the thing is, I mean, it's all over the world now, and people in darkest Australia know who you are, and they have your picture on their wall and things. That must be a bit bizarre for you, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, when you say it, it's very abstract to me, but if I were to actually... When I'm actually there, if I were to actually walk into someone's apartment in Australia and see it, that might be strange. Do you get fan mail from all over the world? Mm-hmm. Tell me the sort of things that they write to you. Did you get offers of marriage and stuff like that? No. I have gotten some strange letters. You do when you play a corpse. <laughs> yeah, I, think do, I think you do when you're in a David Lynch production. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, you get strange fan mail. I got one last night when I got home, and it was very almost painful to read. Because I am a softie, I want to write this person and say, you know, it's okay, it's just a TV show. But... I've been told over and over and over you can't because the second that you let them in, that's when you're really going to screw with them. And I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody. Do you think too, perhaps disturbed series creates disturbed fans, perhaps? I think it kind of allows for that side of us to, you know. What are the more bizarre fan letters you've had? The ones that disturb me the most. There's one in particular that keeps writing, that is very upset by the series, very upset by the deaths, not by the series, likes the series but is upset by the deaths and threatens to do something drastic if I don't reply. And that's a very hard responsibility to carry for me. I wish I could just not think about it, but it haunts me because I think I have to, you know, should I write this person? But yet I, I'm not. God, but you I haven't written? God, no. Yeah. No. My favorite ones are the kids. Kids just get me. You know, I mean, first off, I think, why are they being allowed to watch this show? <laughs> you know, a nine-year-old knows who I am. That's kind of scary. But they always have, like, little elephant stamps on the envelopes. You know, you always know, okay, this is from a kid. Why do kids write to you? What sort of things are they saying to you? Oh, they just want to ask you questions. You know, they want to know, like, when's your birthday? What's your favorite food? All these things. It's sort of 
I was thinking the other day, what is it about that? Why, why did I want it? I didn't write fan letters when I was a kid, but you, there's always somebody that you sort of, you, you know, you latch onto. It's almost like it gives you hope, you know? So who were your heroes when you were a child? Did you have posters on your walls? No, I didn't have, sorry. <laughs> I didn't have any posters on my walls of people. You know, there are certain people whose work you always admire. Whose work did you admire? Of the newer actresses, I love Goliath, I love Jessica Lange. I loved, of course, Meryl Streep. I mean, I love Diane Keaton also. And I'm going to walk out of here and think, why didn't I say so-and-so's name and so-and-so's, you know, when you're on this spot, it's like... Is it difficult being a beautiful young girl growing up in America? Well, it's difficult growing up in America. I never really felt, I never felt beautiful. I felt sort of out of place. For a long time, I, I just... I was kind of unhappy for a long, long time. So because you felt you didn't belong. Yeah, yeah. I just I didn't know where my niche was. I didn't. And my family, they're great, but I, it was a lot of stuff beyond that. Mm, they say the most beautiful girls are also the loneliest. Have you found that? I know with this character, this is an incredibly lonely character to play, and it's made me really look at my life too in certain ways and I, I definitely feel lonely right now in my life I feel incredibly lonely and I keep thinking you know why here I am I have all these spiritual beliefs and they do definitely help but there's a certain loneliness in this business also you know what are you lonely for do you know can you put your finger on it mm, sometimes I can I for fulfillment for love what yeah probably love I think when you get right down to it all, that's probably what it is. Because my career fulfills so much of my life in such a wonderful way. And my whole beliefs and God fills a whole another part of my life. And I keep thinking that should be able to fill this love department too. But for some reason, you know, people always say, everybody always said to me, if you do what you love to do, and you set up, you know, you find your niche, your path, and your belief system, and you have your set of friends and your family, then you won't need anything else. It's not true. Is it's there not, not a special love in your life? No, there's not at all. That's been definitely a very hard part of my life through this whole thing. Well, you lost a boyfriend through it. Yeah, yeah, along the way. It's a strange job to have and try to find that balance with another human being. Do you find it hard to trust people, whether they really want to know you as who you are, or whether they want to know you because of what you've achieved? Definitely. Have you found a lot of people suddenly becoming your friend who weren't previously interested in you, that sort of thing? I've found a couple times people, you know, I think you sort of have to trust your gut, and a couple times I have met people that I, I knew in my gut that there was an ulterior motive and then later they said, you know, can you get a script to so-and-so and it was like, ouch. Mm. Um, but I'd have thought you'd have been in demand left, right and center, are you not? Nah, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Somebody outside just said, I heard you were dating Billy Idol. I'm like, I've never even met him. <laughs> you know, I think you're talking about Sherilyn Fenn. I don't know. I mean, that was a long time ago. But no, I'm not. Do you try and sort of look towards people who are outside of the business. I mean, it's much easier, presumably, to get involved with somebody outside of this business, or is it not? Well, I did, because I used to be very much in love with an actor, and it didn't work out, and so, but it wasn't in Los Angeles. And so I thought, okay, I'm never going to do that again. And 
then I tried to just date people who were not in the business. Now that's a whole other thing because it's a very hard thing to understand how somebody has to get up six days a week and work 15 hours and the kind of all of the other symptoms or you know side effects that come with it I know it's very hard to understand and it's hard to explain you know that this is something I feel incredibly passionate about that I don't want to live without right mm. now do you think you're a difficult girl to go out with or to live with or? completely <laughs> Why? I never used to want to admit that but I know it's true why is it true because I want so many things you know I want to continue working as an actress and just continue to expand and grow in that way I also the part of me that is the private the sacred part the God part that's that's the most important thing and then there's a whole other part of me who's like well I want to get married and have kids and I want to travel around the world and I want to have a ranch and it's like how do you fit all these wants into one person mm. do you find that, that most men wouldn't accept those sort of things is that your belief I haven't found anybody yet who would. I know I'm very confusing. <laughs> it's a hard thing also because I've worked very hard to get to where I am. And sometimes people resent that. And sometimes, I mean, I know that having a relationship with an actor can make you feel very insecure. I don't know that I would want to do it, you know? And you hear about everything that happens in this business. But I. I don't know. I guess I'll, when the right man comes along, I'll know. You said you, one day you'd like to get married and have children. Is that something fairly imminent or just some long way in the future because of your career? I hope it's not too long in the future. How old are you now? 24. I mean, having kids, maybe. <laughs> I love children so much, but and I don't want to wait until I'm like 35 to have my first kid, but I know right now it wouldn't be possible. Mm. You do a lot of work with children, don't you? sort of charity work, don't you? I, they get me right in the heart, and it's one thing that I feel like I, I can never do enough. You know, I've got to find the time to do more, and I have some ideas that hopefully, you know, a year or two years down the line through this work and maybe saving some money that I'll be able to, some things that I want to do with that. Can you be more specific? Not yet, because it's, it's, it's still a dream. It's something you want to do with children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sort of like a, a place, a center that I want to... The Cheryl Lee Recreation Center. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of like that. Uh-huh. What about um, other things you enjoy doing in your spare time away from work? You do a lot of meditation, you say, and, and you're into reading, aren't you? I love to read. Mm. I love to read. You read biographies. So what, why are you so into biographies? I don't know. Probably the same reason that I'm an actress. I... I'm reading right now Lust for Life. David gave it to me about Vincent Van Gogh, and I'm, it's like 500 pages, and I'm already, like, it's one of the fastest books I've ever read. There's something about biographies and autobiographies that I love so much. You know, just, it goes back to that thing about what makes people tick. And they're so inspiring to me. They are so inspiring. Sort of like what we were talking about um, actresses you know, that you may idolize when you're younger. There's something about seeing that somebody has gone through some sort of struggle and searched within themselves and found their path and carried on. It's Isn't it something to do with living your life through somebody else again? I mean, rather like an actress who's constantly playing a different role, but you're also reading somebody else's life. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Does anyone 
that you've read about have an ideal life that you would perhaps like to emulate? It's really funny that you say that because a dear friend of mine and I have a joke going now. He actually works on this show. He plays Deputy Andy. And we have a joke when something happens to us. He says, oh my God, I got to write that down in my autobiography. Because it started with just one little thing and, and it's carried over because when you read about these things, you think, now when this person lived this moment, did they know that this was going to be such a good moment to read about, you know, 50 years later? And even when you read in film magazines about the making of a film, it sounds so romantic, you know? But here we are actually shooting one, and it's wonderful and I love it, but it's, there's something about, there's so much romance added when you read something, because then you get to sort of create it all in your own mind. But do you have heroines or heroes? In books? Yeah, or in life. There are probably so many of them. I mean, they're really, I'm sitting here just going through all the books that I've read recently, and every single person is, really, once you get to know them, you know? I mean, we all have a story of where we came from, and, and it, can be, it can be somebody, I mean, the woman who cleans my house in my mind is, is wonderful to me. She's only 21, she has these two kids, and she, you know, sets up my house, and every time she comes, she does it with such care and love, and she leaves, and I just am so thankful for her. It's like, gosh, this is a wonderful soul in my life. So it can even be, it's anybody, really. Do you think the fact that you're looking at other people's lives in such a way, whether you're playing them or whether you're reading about them, indicates perhaps you're not still quite satisfied enough with your own? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because sometimes I find myself seeing a life in my head that isn't necessarily one that I'm living at this moment, or I think it isn't one. And maybe that's continual goal-reaching, I don't know, because, like, Recently, I went to Italy last spring for the award Sorry, ceremony, and um, I had forgotten this, but one of my best friends for like five years said, oh, you're living one of your dreams. Your dreams are coming true. And I said, what? And she said, you're going to Italy for work. You've been saying that that's what you wanted to do forever. And I had forgotten because we're, there's always another place to go, mm. you know? And so it's like I, I realize I am living some of them, and they're coming true, and that's a really wonderful thing. But I, you know, you kind of forget sometimes. Is there also an element of all that glitters is not gold in the sense that you, as any young actress, you'd want to aspire to the status you have now? And also, you know, you, you look terrific and you've got everything going for you and everything else. But is it just not as splendid at the top of the hill as you had anticipated? Yeah, and I think mainly when you have a dream about something, you know, oh, I want to be a working actress and I want to have these types of roles. So then that starts coming true. Only with that comes a hundred other things that you never even imagined in your mind. You know, other lessons that you have to learn, problems with losing your privacy, all these types of business things that you don't think about when you have the dream. Mm. That's been the hard part for me. Mm. To what extent have you lost your privacy, do you feel? Every once in a while, you know, somebody will say, oh, I heard you were eating at so-and-so. I heard you went to dinner with so-and-so. It's like, uh, it's like <laughs> I don't want to go outside. Yeah. yeah. It makes your circle of friends sort of become very small and very close, mm -hmm. you know. 
do you find that you've kept the same friends from before you became famous and you sort of because you trust them more than everyone else since well I do still have you know my best friend that I went to high school with for, for 10 years she's getting married this spring and you're a bridesmaid yeah she just <laughs> flew here to ask me a month ago so I'm gonna fly to Colorado and be her bridesmaid in March we're still very close now it's hard because we don't live in the same state and then my two best friends here I have met I met right when I moved here two years ago uh, do you get stopped in the street a great deal at the time particularly when it was being screened over here at the time, not so much in Los Angeles, in New York, and now, no. In Europe, when I was in Italy, but they knew that we were there for the awards, we, we got stopped a lot, but here, mm -mm. On the recognition front, though, I mean, you know, yesterday I saw you with the hairdo and everything else, but your hair is actually a lot shorter than Laura Palmer's. So do you find that people don't recognize you yeah, as much as they, they would have done? Yeah, and I'm also older. And you're also alive. I'm also alive. <laughs> I'm alive and I'm older. Have you always had your hair like this? It's mm -mm. a little short. Mm -mm. No, that was my hair when we shot the pilot and everything. Right. So do you prefer it blonde? Um, it was very interesting having it black for a while because a whole different side of yourself comes out. It's mm. like it gave me an okay to have a more dark side, mm. you know? And that was kind of fun, but I think naturally this feels more right. Do you find people react to you differently because you're a blonde now? Well, this is my natural hair color. And so this is what I lived with all my life. And so, yes, then when I dyed it dark, mm. yeah, they react differently to you. Mm, how differently? Can you... They take you more serious. <laughs> it's, it's a cliche that everybody's been talking about for years, but I found it very true. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know, but when I had my hair dark, some man came up to me at a party and said, well, you look like an intelligent woman. No one my whole life has ever said that to me, ever. <laughs> that was the first time. So I knew something was different. Have you found it early on in your career quite difficult to be taken seriously being blonde? Oh, yeah. Being blonde and playing a corpse on top of that. <laughs> yeah, you get... The first job I did after Twin Peaks, I knew that I had to prove something to myself. And I knew that there were a lot of people out there who were thinking, why did she get hired for Twin Peaks? Can she even act? You know, I mean, Maddie was such a mm, character that you, you couldn't really tell anything. And so it was, uh, I put the pressure on myself and I felt the pressure outside. I mean, I'm not suggesting this for a minute, but some people say she only got that part because she looks fantastic, that sort of thing. Do you ever worry about that? Worry about it, no. but. It crosses your mind. Well, I know, like, when I got this, and I just did the, you know, it, it was all luck. That's what everybody said. It was good luck, good luck. Yes, I'm very thankful for it. But somebody said to me one time, because I kept saying, I, I know, I'm so lucky. I don't know why I deserve this. And they said, Cheryl, luck is when discipline meets opportunity. And if you wouldn't have been ready for that, it wouldn't have happened. And I just, that was such a wonderful thing for me to hear. I also, because I do believe in life after death, you know, I may have struggled five lifetimes before to be an actress and never made it. Maybe that's what allowed me to reach this point in this life. Do you like the way you look? Oh, God. Uh, um, <laughs> I would change many, many things if I could. Yeah. What would you change? Oh, yeah, I would change a lot, <laughs> a lot of things. But I'm trying to come to a place with that where... God gave us what he gave us for a reason. Oh, what would you and change? accept it. I don't want to start. Uh, if I start going on that, it'll put me into this huge place of insecurity, and then I'll have to go home and live with it. Mm. 
I'm learning to accept it more. What about what you wear? Do you dress like Laura Palmer at all? No, <laughs> no. I'm more of a slob than she is. <laughs> and I'm more eclectic than she is. She sort of has her little outfits that she wears every day. I'm not, I like cowboy boots, but I also love 20s style dresses, you know. What about, you know, your appearance and things? Have you been more conscious of it since you became a big star? Oh, God, yeah, that's one thing that I, I have, I hate to use this word because it sounds so strong, but a resentment for. Not having to make an effort all the time because people know you. Yes, and, and I go through phases where I'll, I feel like I just want to rebel against it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, when you're working this much and every day you have to come into hair and makeup and wardrobe, on my weekends, you know, if I want to go see a movie, I just want to wear jeans and I don't want to wear any of that. And I really do believe that beauty comes from within, and so that's what I constantly have to go, that's, you know, keep up your meditation, keep up your yoga, because it's about something that comes from inside you. It's about being a good person, you know? I mean, you can see somebody who is physically very attractive, but then you can meet them, and if they're really rude to you, all of a sudden they're not very beautiful anymore. But it's a hard thing, you know, I know sometimes you know, you'll hear people, well, I met so-and-so and she was a lot taller in real life or she wasn't, you know, as attractive or this or that. And so you, that's kind of one of those times when you feel you're, you know, somebody sees you in the grocery store or something, it can be very strange. But this is, this is me and those are just the characters that I play. Have you cut down on going to things like grocery stores since you became famous because you don't want to be recognized? No, if I have cut down, it's only because I don't have any time. <laughs> it's not about that, it's just here, we just eat here, so I don't need to go. But when you're not working, do you go shopping a lot? Are you into fashion and dressing up and things? No, not so much. I probably should be a lot more into it than I am. I'd rather spend my money in different places. Mm. Are you quite a party girl? No, not so much. No? I was more so in my younger days. Oh, you're sounding old already. I know, <laughs> I'm sounding old. Um, trying to be responsible. What about, I mean, you live with your cat, don't you? She's yeah, my cat lives. Named after? O'Shea, O-C-H-A-Y. She's named after a little boy who was an acrobat for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Is that what you're into, circuses? No, that? it's kind of a long story, but to sum it up, in, in Colorado, where I'm from, there's this outside area that's blocked off. When they always used to show on the Mork and Mindy show. It's called the Mall. And we have street performers come, musicians and everything. And this family used to come every summer, and I worked down there at a clothing store. And so O'Shea and I, he was only about three or four at the time. He could barely walk, but he could do these somersaults and everything. And him and I became friends. And then I got this cat at the grocery store accidentally and um, she could hardly walk but she would somersault and I said that's exactly like O'Shea so that's how she got her name. You're quite an animal lover, are you? Very much so. Is this the old cliche of uh, they won't let us down, human beings let people down but animals are always there for you? No. I love animals for a different reason. I mean I think we have gifts to give them and they have gifts to give us also and I think um, recently I've been studying the Native American animal cards and medicine cards and it's such a wonderful thing it's like it opens a whole nother window in your world because now every time I see you know a squirrel or if a bird comes and lands close to me or if I see an otter I know that there's a message that that animal is giving to me and 
and there's a reason and it's it's a great gift and they're always right you know I'll see one and I'll think well that's strange that I just happened to see a deer standing right there and I'll know what the deer is symbolic of and I'll be like yeah that was right on I needed to hear that you know what about the gift which you've been given the talent which you've got how do you do you see that as coming from somewhere else yeah I, it's definitely not mine I believe that we're all sort of like vessels or sort of like tubes and we have different notches and different shapes and different grooves in, in us and our job is to try to continue to to keep that tube in shape so that the energy can come through us and come out in whatever way individual way it comes out apart from being a great thinker you come across as a, a very gentle person i'm a big softy <laughs> i'm very gullible and i'm it's yeah <laughs> If someone was to drop in on you one day when you're not working, what are you most likely to be doing at home? Cooking or No, not cooking. <laughs> not cooking. <laughs> My dad gave me a cookbook for Christmas to try to get me to learn to cook, and I still can only make toast. If somebody dropped in on me, it depends. When I'm not working, I try to get in as much yoga as I can. I, I love to read. Or I would be... Nature is very important to me. I have to get out of the city anytime I can. I may go to the desert as soon as we're done with this. I may go to the beach by myself or I'll go on hikes in the hills by myself. But I may go to the beach with a friend or go. I was up in Big Sur right before we came here staying in a tree house. It was really fun. The look you have now is, reminds me of Madonna in the Who's That Girl era. Is she a heroine of yours? Not in particular. I'm I give her so much credit for what she's done. She's, I mean, talk about a powerhouse. Man, she knew what she wanted and she went after it. My hair is actually growing out from a very, very short haircut that I did just because my hair was so ruined from the black dye. Mm. Are you aware of the likeness with Madonna? Has anyone ever told you that before? No, nobody's ever. Oh. <laughs> nobody's, I mean, thank you. I, I think she's great. So. Yeah, what do you think of her music? What music are you into? Oh man, I love you too. I love Sting. I love Prince. I love, like, I have this tape somebody gave me recently that's like medieval church music of choir singing, sounds like angels. Anything like that I love. The, the kind of really soothing, beautiful. I love um, classical music. I love blues. Do you I go to concerts I, much? I wish I could go more. I miss that. I used to when I was in high school. I saw the police a long time ago, and I, and I just missed Sting here, and I wish so badly I could have seen it. Um, I've never seen David Bowie, and now, mm. you know, I wish I could see him. Prince, I've never seen. So. Do you have a favorite record of all time? It would depend which mood I was in when you asked me that. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What about? Like, I love the music from the show. I think it's brilliant. Well, you listen to that in your spare time? Not in my spare time, because I've listened to it so much. I listen to it here to get me to that place. What type of car do you drive? I drive, a, well, it's been like two months since I've driven it. I hope it starts. I drive an 82 beat-up Scirocco. And it's been a wonderful car, very inexpensive. It only cost me like $2,000. And I always thought, why do people spend so much money on cars? This gets me around. And then when I went to Big Sur, they said, you can't drive your car, it won't last. So I rented a red convertible Mustang with turbo and it was the first time I understood why people had nice cars you know I had a radio my car doesn't even have a radio and my air conditioner in my car is stuck on heater so it's like 
Is there any sign of, of your success, though? Have you got any lavish gifts for yourself? I think the main thing that I've put money into other than traveling would be artwork, paintings. Nothing really expensive, but that's... I have a thing about painters. If I could do that, I would. Do you I, paint yourself? No. I'm, I've got to get over this block because I feel like since I've never taken a class, how could I possibly do it and everybody that I know who paints says you just gotta get it and try it. There's something about that, about working with your hands in that way that's very attractive to me. Do you think then that acting is not fulfilling all your creative feelings? No, it, it is 100%. The problem with it is you can't do it until some director somewhere says okay you can do it now. Mm. If I could do it all the time you know, and just go from one character into the development of the next character into the development of the next one, that would be one thing, but it doesn't happen that way. You go for six months trying to get a job, and Lord knows auditions don't fulfill you one single bit, you know. You, you talk quite a bit about traveling. What, is Italy your favorite place? I loved Italy. Um, Whereabouts in Italy did you go? We went to Florence and Venice mm. and Milan and Rome. Venice for me was just like, oh my God, and Florence also. Mm. But I'm... I really want to go all over. I'm going to be going to the Caribbean with my family, I think, after this at Thanksgiving. And I'm, I've never been there. I'm really looking forward to that. I'd love to go to Egypt. I, I want to go back to Paris. I want to go. I love England. I was in Potter's Bar for a month. And I've been What on earth are you doing in Potter's Bar? I had an English boyfriend when I was younger, when I was 19. He was an art student at the college where I grew up. Mm. And so his family lived there, and he said, come on over. So I went. Tell me about uh, Italy. Do you think that sort of the Italian people are sort of people that you feel you belong with, or what? I loved them. I had the greatest time there. And all of Europe, I've, my whole life, I, I, well, I was born in Germany, and I don't know if that's why I feel like there's always a nagging in me to go there. I'd also really love to go to Ireland and Scotland. I've never been there, and lately mm. that's been nagging me, like mm. maybe I should go there. But I've never seen the south of France. It's a very hard thing to find words for, all the differences between here and there, but passion is more allowed there, you know? And I find that here we have forgotten to appreciate every single moment in life, you know? I mean, the meals there would last for hours and it was so great and here it's like boom get in have a business meeting boom get out to the you know mm. you're always rushing 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 and I don't like this way of life I like mm. that much better uh, yeah apart from the stressful existence the big criticism of the Americans has always been their sincerity there's been great question marks over whether they really mean things that they say oh that's interesting I haven't heard that before and the English see them as sort of, they always say, hi, how are you, have a nice day, but they never stay around to find out how you are. Exactly. It's like when you say, like I remember describing to, a, uh, telling my friend who was getting ready to go to Europe, and I said to her, when people say in Europe that you can go stay at their house, they mean it. It's going to freak you out, but they really mean mm. it. And you'll really be able to stay there, and you'll really have lunch with these people, and you'll meet these incredible people. Here... You know, I mean, even when somebody says, oh, I'll do lunch, or yeah, you can come stay with me, and then if you call them, they'd be like, what? Mm. Oh, oh, well, this weekend, is, you know, I mean, mm. it's a... Do you ever hear yourself saying things, you know, now that perhaps you wouldn't have said a few years ago? Maybe stardom has changed you a little bit. I find myself continually wishing, I mean, 
it's such a paradox because it's like I love what I'm doing so much, but then I know that I haven't called my family in three weeks or my best friend from, and that wouldn't have happened before. And some of that is because it just gets so crazy, and then some of it is by choice. When I'm doing a character like this, and I'm so into this thing, that by choice I like to sort of become a hermit and not continually have contacts with my own life, you know? What's your relationship with your family like now? It's good. I, I don't see them as much as I like to. Well, my sister, Laura, isn't that weird? <laughs> my sister's name is Laura. She is a piano major. Um, my mother's an artist, my father's an architect. My sister's a piano major, and she's also teaching children how to play the piano. And my 15-year-old brother, named Paul, is always up to something wonderful. I mean, he's just, he's so talented in so many areas. How do they feel about your success? It kind of goes back to the thing, as long as they know that I'm happy. I know that when I got my first acting job, they were very happy because I know that's a hard thing to, to, for parents to hear, I want to be an actress. You know, what about regular college? No, I'm not going to go, this and that. And it's a phase, she'll get over it. And it's, it was a long struggle before I finally got my first job. And I know that was as big a relief for them, you know. If you hadn't been an actress, what do you think you'd have been? If I hadn't have been an actress, I would have tried to learn to paint and sculpt. How do you see your future now, you personally and professionally? Is this a, like, how do I want it to be, or is this a, how yes. do I see it? Okay. I hope, career-wise, that it keeps expanding. I do feel very lucky in the sense that the roles that I've had are very varied, and I love that. I don't ever want to get stuck in any kind of stereotype. Right now, difficult after you work on something and you work with someone like David I want to make sure that I do something very different next I wouldn't mind doing a comedy um, <laughs> I would love to go back to theater that's that's my first choice right now is it a case of you can't walk out of your front door without tripping over scripts at the moment not necessarily you know I definitely do see a lot of victim roles which I'm not even I mean those pretty much don't even get to my house. They're kind of cut off sooner, because, I mean, there are many different kind of, kinds of victims. That's such a generalization. I shouldn't say that, but, you know, a murder victim. <laughs> I don't need to do that again right now, really. So did you find lots of people sending you scripts with dead bodies involved or anything? <laughs> um, Morbid scripts. If they did, I didn't see them. Mm. Thank God other people kept them away from me. But was the response from other directors and producers quite good after Twin Peaks, or as a result of? The curiosity was aroused, but again, I don't think that there was enough work for them to really know, but I think because of David's reputation and who he is, immediately there's a curiosity as to, are these people really like this, or how much are they acting and how much are they really like this, because he's known for his casting. He's also known for being very faithful to the people who work for him, isn't he? I mean, he has quite a few of the actors and actresses in all his films and all his projects. Are you intending to work with him again? Is there any plan for you to work with him again? I would, in a second. Because mm. you were actually in Wild at Heart, weren't you? Very briefly. Very briefly. Tell us about your part in that. I was the good witch, sort of based on Glenda from The Wizard of Oz. I think it will always be one of my most favourite roles. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like a little girl's dream come true. Mm. And I was... 50 or 60 feet above the ground. So it really felt like I was flying. 
I mean, do you find that you are getting typecast? You're likely to get typecast because you were in a series for, for so long? In a sense, but I was really lucky because of the type of series it was. Mm. And I did get to play two characters, so that has helped a lot. And no one really saw what kind of girl Laura was. They will, but they didn't yet. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us anything about the movie, which you, I mean, you were fairly sworn to secrecy, I know, but what can you tell us about Laura's character, what we might learn from her? Well, I think it fills in a lot of holes or a lot of questions that weren't answered on the series. Obviously, since it's not on television, we can take it further. For me, I feel very defensive of Laura because at first everybody loved Laura, and then when they found out she was doing drugs and she was doing this, I would hear people bad-mouthing her. And I really didn't like that because, you know, she didn't get that way for no reason. People don't turn to drugs for no reason. They usually do it because they're in some kind of pain, as Laura was, and they're looking to escape or looking for an answer or something. It's very self-destructive. And um, this film helps show what led her to that point. But if people knock her, you feel hurt, do you? Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> now, um, you know, sex and violence in the movie, I mean, how aware are you of that? Is it, is it quite bad? There's no sex and violence in this movie. <laughs> um, Your nose has just grown six inches. <laughs> <laughs> Gee. Yeah, there's a lot. There's, there's quite a bit. Um, it was something for me that I had to really think about before I worked on this film and um, decide why it was necessary to the script, what was necessary to the script. None of David's films are just about sex and violence. You know, none of them are. And if you look at what's out there right now, there are a lot of films that are just about sex and violence. I will not be a part of those films. I don't want anything to do with them. I wish they were not even made anymore. How do you feel about doing sex scenes, nude scenes, whatever? Are you quite comfortable doing that, or did it take a lot of nerve? Um, no, I am completely and totally uncomfortable with it. To me, love and sex, sexuality, is the most sacred part of somebody's life. It's completely sacred. It's the most personal, vulnerable part of anybody. And to have to do it with somebody that you don't even know, um, even kiss them, somebody that you don't know, and then have to see it and know that thousands of people are seeing it is horrifying to me. Absolutely horrifying. I don't know how we do it. I really don't. So how did you do it? You just close your eyes and get on with it? Yeah. I mean, you just, it's, it comes down to this is not my life. This is her life. And this is part of my job. This is what I'm here to do. What about the violent aspect of even the whole series of Twin Peaks and this movie? Does that sort of frighten you at all? Does it spook you out? Yeah. But what spooks me out more is the violence that happens in the world. You can go back and forth with this thing. Films imitating life are life is life imitating our films. But you're not saying this film is, or, the, or Twin Peaks is representative of society, surely? It's not that bad, is it? Society or the film? Society. Oh, this happens to girls all the time, what happens to Laura. They go, they get sexually abused, they turn to drugs, they end up in prostitution and they end up getting violently murdered. It happens every day in our country. 